Good morning again. Good to see you all. Our sermon text for this morning is uh, from Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 24 to 25. And uh, I'm just going to read those two verses. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. Before I read, however, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, your love. Uh, We thank you for drawing us to Yourself through Your Son. We thank You for the Gospel, for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, We thank You, Father, that You didn't save us and then just abandon us, but You give us Your Word that we might hear from You and Your people, uh, that we might gather together and encourage one another. And we pray, Father, uh, that You would be with us as we listen to this text and that You would uh, guide us and teach us, uh, humble us and grow us in a way that brings You glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I need you. I mean that. I, I need you uh, in, in more ways than you probably know, probably in more ways than I know. And of course, uh, you need me. Uh, we need one another. Uh, we need one another for lots of reasons. We need one another because we're limited. Uh, we, we don't see everything. We don't know everything. We can't do everything. Um, we need one another because we're sinful. Uh, we have blind spots. Uh, we, we need rebuke. We need others to help us not to stumble and fall. Uh, we need one another because we get discouraged and we need encouragement. We need one another because we're human. Uh, God said from the very beginning, it is not good for man to be alone. We need companionship. The Christian life is uh, a life of mutual interdependence. We need one another. Now, to some of you, that may sound offensive. Uh, I, don't, I don't need you. I don't need anybody, you might be thinking. Or it may sound burdensome. Right? Great. One more person to take what little time and energy that I have. For some of you, it may sound perfectly normal. Right? Yeah, we need community, of course. Right? We need one another. What would you say, though, if I said uh, that I think... There is little, there would be little more helpful to our communal spiritual life than if we began imposing on one another more. (laughs) Uh, You know, there there are some people who have no boundaries. Um, Sometimes we need to learn to say no. Uh, Sometimes that's the loving thing to do. Um, I'm not encouraging boundaryless living, right? But then there's the rest of us who are often so self-reliant, so independent, so embarrassed of being needy, we do our best never to impose on anyone. And if we do impose on them, we're quick to say, I don't mean to impose. You know what that does? It actually takes love out of the church. 
It just evacuates the church of opportunities to love one another. Okay, not all opportunities, but many of them. Because you know what love is, right? Love is self-sacrifice. You know, by this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Love is denying oneself. There's no greater love than to lay down your life for a friend, Jesus says. And so Jesus goes to the cross, and he lays down his life for us, and then he calls us to take up our cross and to follow him. Love is, is giving of oneself for the good of another. The cross doesn't redefine love. It explains it. It demonstrates it. And so love hurts. And yet at the same time, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So there's something in even the, the pain of self-sacrifice for the good of another that brings blessing. It's really a kind of a fundamental principle to the Christian life, right? Because the cross leads to the resurrection. And so we deny ourselves and we take up our cross in order to know Christ's resurrection power at work in us, in order to know his blessing, his joy. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, we're going to talk about our love for one another this morning. We're going to talk about that in terms of mutual encouragement. And so our outline, you can see on the back of your bulletin, there are three sort of main points uh, the, the, the rhythm of life, mutual encouragement, and then gospel encouragement. And the second one's broken down into a couple different subpoints. First, the, the rhythm of life. Now, I know uh, when I hear the phrase, the rhythm of life, it reminds me of, of a Phil Collins or Elton John or Billy Joel song kind of all rolled into one. Uh, but uh, here's what I'm getting at. What is the comprehensive call of the church? Well, it's, it's love. And really, that's pretty easily verifiable. What is the great commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what's the second great commandment? To love your neighbor as yourself. And according to Jesus, how will all men know that you are his disciples? if we have love for one another. And finally, what does Jesus say is the height of being like our Father in heaven, loving our enemies. So there are these four great love commandments in the New Testament. Love God, love your neighbor, uh, love one another, and love your enemy. And this is, this is really the comprehensive call of the church. Anything else we could say is, is, um, is part of that calling. Okay, well, well, why do we love in this way? Or how do we love in this way? Well, the scriptures tell us we love because God first loved us. We need uh, to first be loved before we can love. We need to receive before we can give. We need to receive grace before we can show grace. And this is what brings us to, to what I'm calling the, the, the rhythm of the Christian life, right? There's this rhythm, there's this pulse of gathering and scattering. Uh, we must gather to God's throne of grace to receive grace before we can scatter out into the world to show it. Right? We must gather to God together with one another to receive his grace and love before we can scatter out into the world to show his grace and love. 
It's, it's a rhythm, right? It's a pulse. It's, it's, a, it's a heartbeat, so to speak, because it doesn't happen once, right? Heartbeats don't happen once. <laughs> Rhythms don't happen once. I don't think so, anyway. Um, we don't say, oh, well, now I know God's love, right? I've come to know it. Um, I'm good to go. I never need to hear about it again. Um, rather, we weekly gather together to God to receive at the start of the week before we scatter out into the world to love and serve the world. And so this week, what we're talking about is the, the gathering of the church, and next week we're going to talk about the scattering of the church. Um, you may remember uh, in a miniseries last January, we, we talked about worship. We talked about drawing near to God. And uh, we're not going to talk about that again, exactly. Um, today we're going to focus on the fact that we're drawing near together with one another. Um, today we're going to focus on um, the communal aspect of our gathering. Uh, we could spend Sunday mornings, I mean, you chose not to this morning, I, I thank you for that. Uh, we could spend Sunday mornings each in our bedroom, right, reading and praying individually, um, but we don't do that. Why, why don't we do that? Because, for one, I think that the primary way we receive grace from God is through one another, uh, I'm, not, I'm not downplaying the means of grace when I say that, by the way, because even the means of grace, right, are typically administered through people. God uses people in our lives to show his grace to us. And so we're going to talk about God's grace this morning through one another, his grace to each of us through each of us. Uh, if, you, if you weren't here last January when we, we talked uh, about worship, or if you have questions about our gathering before the Father, um, I would encourage you to go, go and listen to some of the sermons from that series. It's on the website. It's called uh, Gospel Rehearsal, Gospel Renewal, uh, and especially the sermon Drawing Near, which is on Hebrews 4, which I thought about preaching on this morning, but I'm not. We're in Hebrews 10. Um, uh, but that sermon talks about our drawing near to God. So today's kind of a supplement uh, uh, to that. We're going to talk about our drawing near to God together with one another. Now, uh, when I was preparing to preach, normally when I'm preparing to preach, even if I start with some kind of an idea in my head when I start to study, um, at some point the text that I'm studying just kind of takes over and the sermon takes on a life of its own. And so there's a particular aspect of our togetherness that I'm going to talk about this morning, and that is uh, we're going to focus on mutual encouragement. Mutual encouragement. And we're going to see a number of things about mutual encouragement. And the first is that mutual encouragement is necessary. Mutual encouragement is necessary. Let's read our verses again. Uh, chapter 10, uh, verses 24 to 25. The writer of Hebrews says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The passage calls us to stir up one another to love and good works. Uh, but before we look at that, uh, I want to ask a question. Why is that necessary? Why do we need to stir one another up to love and good works? The implication in the passage is, I think, that we, we don't do love and good works by default. If we're called to stir one another up to this activity, it must mean, on some level at least, 
uh, we don't do this activity otherwise, at least not as we should. This is, is humbling, right, because it shows us that we're probably not the loving people we would like to think we are. We're probably not the loving people we want others to think we are. There are lots of reasons why this is true, of course, right? There are, we have conflicting inner desires. We are often self-deceived. Uh, we, we live in unbelief, even as we strive to walk by faith. But the context of the book of Hebrews is actually uh, about the persecution of the church. And so think about how persecution, how troubles tend to destroy love, right? Even in our own experience, when others don't like you or when they tear you down or when they say mean things about you, right, when they physically threaten you, our temptation is to worry about what people think, to worry about our own skin, right? We might think about how we can get those people to like us, how we can sort of end our troubles. Uh, we might strike back or we might simply feel alone. Think about your own suffering, your own difficulty, Think about how tempting it is to give up when things are hard or when people are against you or when you're all alone or when suffering just doesn't seem to let up or when discouragement sets in. Think about how tempting it is to focus on yourself rather than to pursue love and good works. Why do we need to be stirred up to love and good works? Because we don't do love and good works by default. Why not? Well, among other things, because the trials and struggles of life tempt us to discouragement, to give up, to turn in on ourselves. They tempt us to focus on how to gain the favor of the people around us to avoid trouble or, or to feel alone and to feel discouraged. And it's in this context, then, of persecution and trouble that the writer of Hebrews calls on us to encourage one another. Mutual encouragement is necessary. It's necessary because we, we don't do love naturally, in part because of the temptation of, of the trials and the difficulties that we face. Mutual encouragement also requires thoughtful effort. Notice how verse 24 begins. Verse 24 starts, uh, and let us consider how to stir up one another. Now, the writer of Hebrews could have just said, let us stir up one another. But he didn't say that. He says, let us consider. Why does he say that? Well, okay, right now, think in your head, write down in your notes, whatever, five ways to stir up those around you to love and good works. Go. How do you do it? How would you do it? Now, some of you are really smart, and you've got one thing coming after another. Uh, but for many of us, we draw a blank. This is why we need to consider Encouragement, like love and good works themselves, right, doesn't, doesn't come naturally to many of us. To some people it does, but not to many of us. It doesn't just happen. You have to take time to consider. If you're going to encourage those around you to love well, that encouragement requires thoughtful effort. Uh, there's, there's an interesting interpretive question in the, in the text. Uh, one commentator pointed out that the first phrase could be translated, let us consider one another to stir up to love and good works. And so, right, the question is, are you considering how to stir one another up, or are you considering that person in order to stir them up? And of course, I think the answer practically is both. 
And this is the challenge, right? This is the challenge to you. This is the challenge to us. Think about someone around you. Think about someones around you. Think about them and consider, how can I stir them up? How can I encourage them? This is your homework. It'll be a test next week. Hopefully, uh, it will become easier as you think about it. Hopefully, it will become easier by the end of the sermon. Uh, but, but this is our homework because this is our job. Right? In one sense, the, the, the writer says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let's do that, he says. Mutual encouragement is, is necessary. We need it. Mutual encouragement requires thoughtful effort. We have to think about it. We have to wrestle with it. And mutual encouragement involves face-to-face presence, right? Not FaceTime, right? But face-to-face presence. Uh, You know, in the Old Testament, when uh, the the gathering together with God's people at the temple was the climax of daily life, it was the climax of the year, multiple times during the year, Uh, Psalm 95 says, Oh, come, let us... Sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of salvation. Let us come into his presence with singing. Psalm 122 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. It's in the Old Testament that the gathering was the, the climax of Israel's experience, and it was the climax of their hope. Right? The, the prophetic theme, there's a, this prophetic theme of God gathering his people together to himself at the temple in Jerusalem. And Ezekiel envisions a day when God will gather his people from among the nations as a shepherd gathers his sheep. That's the hope in Israel. And Jesus picks up on this, right? You know, in John chapter 10, he says, he will gather his sheep from among the nations and he will make one flock Under him, one shepherd. At the same time, Jesus says he is going to build his church. The word church, uh, ecclesia, means assembly or gathering. So the whole trajectory of the Old Testament experience and hope, the whole trajectory of Jesus' work is about gathering people to God together. It's about bringing people together in the church, the body of Christ. So in the beginning of verse 25, the writer refers to meeting together. He uses a a word that refers to a gathering, the word uh, episynagogue, right? Which you can hear the word synagogue in there, right? Uh, It's a word gathering, referring to a particular gathering. And we live in a day where the church gathering is considered optional, right? Where Christianity has been divorced from the assembly. Uh, We've forgotten that Christ came to gather his sheep. Yes, to gather them to himself, but to gather them into one flock together. We've forgotten that Jesus came to build his church. We've forgotten that church means assembly and that assembly, the church, is the temple as we gather together, the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's the place where God meets with his people. Um, You know, we think that uh, we can meet with God just fine on our own with our Bibles and our houses because God is everywhere after all, and that's true. He is everywhere. But Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. See, there's there's something unique about the gathered people of God, which is not true about each Christian on his or her own. 
Now, besides the fact that, that the, both the Old and the New Testaments kind of envision this corporate reality, this communal reality, why is the assembly so necessary? You know, we might envision a community that, that never assembles. It's possible. Uh, today we talk about the global community. Uh, that never gathers together. At least I haven't seen one yet. Um, uh, yet we know that, that community must be experienced on a smaller scale, right? To experience community, it must be experienced on a smaller scale. Why is gathering important? Well, according to Hebrews 10.25, gathering is essential to encouragement, right? Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. We meet together to encourage one another. And, and, you know, Scripture has this very, we've been talking about this in Sunday school to some degree, uh, Scripture has a very tangible bodily view of life. We, we encourage one another as embodied people. One embodied person to another embodied person. In fact, uh, just showing up sometimes when someone is going through difficulties shows them that they're not alone. Your very presence is encouraging to them. Shows them that God has not abandoned them. Because here's God's people right here with me. Shows that the love and the, the grace of Christ by our physical presence reminds them of the gospel. They, they don't have to cater to the opinions of others because they've already been accepted in Christ. Have you ever thought about that, that just your mere presence with someone shows a kind of acceptance? The fact that you're willing to be with them, you're willing to spend time with them, you're not running away. I'm not saying that a card or a letter or an email or a text or even a Facebook message, right, can't be encouraging. That's not what I'm saying, especially from someone you're already close to. But if you pay attention to Jesus in the Gospels, right, he, he, he's always touching people. He's always looking at them in the face. He's always sharing meals with people. Right? He's, he's present. He's with them. These aren't things that you can do virtually but they're part of encouraging one another. And of course, the incarnation itself shows the importance of showing up, the importance of being with, the meaningfulness of being present with people. Encouragement is necessary uh, because we don't naturally do love and good works. We, we worry about what others think. We, we worry about our own skin. We get discouraged. And so mutual encouragement, therefore, is necessary. It requires the thoughtful effort. Uh, it involves face-to-face presence, and, and mutual encouragement must be personalized. You know, even uh, in this short text, there are a couple different words used to refer to encouragement. So in verse 24, we see the phrase stir up, stir up one another to love and good works. Um, it's a word that can actually mean irritate or provoke. That's what you're supposed to do with the church, irritate and provoke one another. Um, provoking obviously can be a bad thing. Um, it's not always comfortable to be provoked. And while it has a good sense here, the sense of spurring someone on to something, even that language, spurring someone on, a spur isn't comfortable. And so here's the question. Do you have someone in your life who, who so desires to see love and good works in your life that he or she is willing to provoke you, willing to spur you on? Are you willing to let the church provoke you? 
Are you willing to let the, the church, your brothers and sisters in Christ, even get tough with you when necessary? To irritate you into doing the right thing? Or are you untouchable? Are people afraid to rebuke you or to correct you or to instruct you? Or do you just ignore them if they do? Verse 25 uses a different word, the word encourage, right? Encouragement can mean a couple of different things. It can mean comfort. It's kind of the opposite of provoke. (laughs) Provoke is making someone uncomfortable to spur them on to some action. Comfort is to the opposite. It's comforting them. You know, stirring up is, is what is what you need when you're lazy or distracted or doing the wrong thing. Uh, Comfort is what you need when you're discouraged, when you're depressed, when you're suffering. Encouragement, though, could also mean uh, here exhortation, right? Urging someone toward a particular behavior like love and good works. And, and, And so what this means is that not everyone, not everyone needs the same thing. Some need to be provoked, prodded, Some need comfort. Others need exhortation. This goes back to considering. As we said earlier, exhortation doesn't happen by accident. You have to consider the person in front of you, and here are some of the questions you might ask. What does this person need? How can I love them right now? How can I show this person the grace of Christ? Encouragement must be personalized. Um, But it must be personalized in another way, too. Uh, Not only do different people need different types of encouragement, uh, the people giving the encouragement are different as well and will give encouragement differently. This isn't mentioned here, but uh, if you notice 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11, we read it earlier. 1 Peter 4 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. That passage tells us that each each Christian has received a gift. God has given each of us a, a gift, it says. A different gift, because each Christian is a steward of God's varied grace. Varied grace. So some have speaking gifts, Peter says. Some have serving gifts. Peter's point there is not to give a detailed list, right? There are only two. You've got one or the other. Uh, His point is uh, to give a summary of the kinds of gifts God gives his people. And so some people, by God's grace, right, speak really well. Maybe they know just the right thing to say when someone is struggling. Or maybe you have a kind word always ready. Or maybe you know how to give praise to people for God's work through them. Other people, by God's grace, serve really well, right? Uh, They see needs and they just fill them, right? It may be setting up chairs for a meeting. It may be opening a door for someone who has their hands full. It may be offering to to pay a bill for someone who is in need. You know, the danger with me giving examples is it may limit your imagination. God has given everyone in this room gifts and abilities which he wants you to use to serve his people. Those gifts and abilities aren't alien superpowers, right? They're they're, they're who you are in Christ, who God has made you to be. And to put it differently, right, God wants you to be you for other people. And so you might look around and think, uh, who needs encouragement? What kind of encouragement do they need? You, You also might look around and think, how is God calling me 
with my particular gifts and abilities and talents, how is God calling me to encourage his people? Notice, uh, I'm not calling you to any particular behavior except to be you in the church because we need you. We need you and the gifts that God has given you. You know, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. As each person uses his or her own gifts, the whole body is built up. Which also means when people don't use their gifts, maybe they don't feel they have anything to offer, uh, maybe they just need some encouragement to use their gifts, uh, the whole body suffers. We need every aspect of God's varied grace in order to grow up to maturity as a community. We're all impoverished when one person buries their talents and doesn't use their gifts. So what gifts has God given you? Who has God made you to be? Uh, if you don't know, right, uh, try to find out, right? Ask those who are closest to you. Ask your parents, ask your friends, uh, ask your spouse, ask your children. Of course, ask God to show you who he has made you to be and is calling you to be in his church. So this mutual encouragement, right, is necessary, requires thoughtful effort on our parts. It involves face-to-face -face presence, at least at times, and uh, it must be personalized to and from, right? We're individuals. So encouragement is from one particular individual to another particular individual. Which brings us to the, the last point, which is, is uh, gospel encouragement to this mutual encouragement. <laughs> Why don't we do this? Uh, why don't we spend time thinking of how we can encourage one another? Maybe some of you do, so that's great. Uh, why don't I do this? <laughs> uh, why don't we do this? Um, I, I think one of the reasons is we're afraid. Uh, we don't live out of a sense of God's love and care for us. We live out of sort of the fear of rejection. Uh, we, we, we fear, live out of the fear of, of giving too much away, too much time, too much energy, and then not having enough. We're afraid because this kind of encouragement requires intimacy. You know, you actually have to know one another for this to work. That can be scary. Our desire for approval and, and reputation hinders this, right? Um, we're afraid of being rejected, so we don't want to be known. And our fragile egos uh, often aren't open to being provoked, uh, sometimes not even open to being uh, comforted, right? Have you ever been there where someone tried to comfort you and you didn't want it? Um, people have to know you to know when you need to be comforted, when you need to be stirred up, when you need to be prodded. Of course, if we're afraid of being rejected, we also, sometimes we don't want to provoke others because <laughs> I'm afraid of, my, of what they might think if I try. If I'm living for others' approval, I might seek to, I might seek to encourage them for the wrong reasons, right, to demonstrate my own goodness. Let me prove to you how righteous I am by, by spurring you on to good works. Of course, neither timid fear nor self-righteous pride spurs others on to love and good works, right? Both will fail. So if I'm going to encourage others, I need to not fear rejection. I need to not uh, need the acceptance of others. I need to not worry about what they think. Which means, if I'm going to encourage others, I need to know the Father's acceptance. Where does that come from? Well, the Father's acceptance, counterintuitively enough, right, comes from Jesus' rejection. 
Christ was rejected by his people. He was abandoned by his friends. He was betrayed by someone close to him. And he was ultimately forsaken by his father on the cross. Why? He, he had a perfect fellowship with his father in eternity, in heaven. But in time, he came and experienced rejection for us. He was rejected for our sins that we might be accepted because of his righteousness. Which means now, in Christ, through faith in him, we have the Father's acceptance. We have his approval, his approbation in Jesus. Through faith in Christ, right, we're united to Christ. We're clothed with Christ. The Father sees us in Christ. Which means the Father sees us as righteous. When he looks upon you, he doesn't say, oh, look at that person. I can't believe he's doing that again. No, he sees his son whom he loves. Look at that. Look at that one. I delight in him. I care for him. He always does what pleases me because he sees you in Christ. Only when we know that we're completely loved and completely accepted can we be open and honest without fear of others' opinions. Only when we know we're completely loved and completely accepted can we stop worrying about our own reputation and start caring about another's good. We must know the Father's acceptance, the Father's grace, before we can show that grace to others. We love because he first loved us. Why don't we encourage? Well, we're afraid, often afraid of intimacy, often afraid of rejection. We're also afraid because encouragement requires sacrifice. Right? Love is sacrifice. We give of ourselves, our unique selves, for the good of others. But if I'm uh, not living out of a sense of God's care for me, I, I live in fear. I become a, a hoarder, right? Because I'm afraid. So I seek to protect my own interests, to save my life. I may use others to further my agenda. I may uh, see others as a threat to my agenda. But either way, I'm not loving others. I'm not stirring them up to love and good works. We're afraid. We're afraid we might give too much, or we're afraid we might miss out. We might end up not having enough for ourselves. Of course, God's math is completely different from our math. Um, God says it is better to give than to receive. Paul says at one point, as we give, God will supply our every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Right? As we give, God supplies. Jesus says if anyone saves his life, he will lose it. But if anyone gives his life for Jesus' sake, he will find it. Of course, the supreme example of that is in the cross, right? Uh, he who was rich became poor that we might become rich. He became poor in the incarnation. He became impoverished, right, he, he, during his life in wealth, of the glories of heaven. He was impoverished of social acceptance, certainly at times, of friends, of justice at the end, at his trial. He was impoverished of comfort and safety and health and reputation and life itself. And he gave it all. He held nothing back. He gave it all for us. And what happened? The Father raised him up to life again and gave him everything. Everything in heaven and on earth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. And so God's math is a little different, right? Our math is if I give and give and give, I'm going to run out and not have enough for myself. Again, I'm not saying boundaries are, are wrong. Don't hear that. Just that our math is mistaken. God says, as we give cheerfully of our time, of our talents, of our gifts, 
that God has given to us as we give of ourselves to one another in the body of Christ, as we give ourselves to the world, God will provide for us and take care of us. Doesn't mean he's going to give you everything you want, right? But it does mean the God of the universe is watching over you. God calls us to mutual encouragement within the church, to thoughtful, face-to-face, personalized encouragement. In this uh, mutual encouragement, this giving of grace to one another, the church is built up. But we can only do this when we see God's love for us in the cross, his sacrifice for us in Jesus, and the fruit of that self-giving love in the resurrection. And only then can we know for sure that as we give of our unique selves for the good of others, as we take up our cross and seek to serve, we won't be impoverished, but we will actually come to know the resurrection power of Jesus in our lives. Let's pray. Our Father, we... We do want to know your resurrection power, but we're, we're scared that we're scared that the cross comes before the resurrection. We're scared that that's true, maybe even in our own lives on some level, that, that suffering precedes glory, uh, that self-denial uh, precedes uh, the, the resurrection life that you have for us. And yet, we know that it's true. We see it in the gospel. And so we pray that you would teach us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to follow you. Um, teach us to love one another the way we have been loved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.